from here on in Romans. And you can glance over and check this out. You won't find the word faith until chapter 9, verse 30. He done talking about faith now. He's used the word faith 25 times up to now. This is the great epistle of justification by faith. But now he quits talking about faith because, you see, ultimately, and now listen to me carefully, we're not justified by our faith. We're justified by the object of our faith. And he's after this great truth that the guarantee of the permanence of your justification is not in you, it's in God. God's love for you. That's why I say these three great guarantees in this chapter are good to just mull over and let them get a hold of you. God's great love is the guarantee of the permanence of our salvation. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings the sixth and final part of the message titled, The Permanence of Justification. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation. In fact, Ephesians 1.14 says he is given as a pledge, as a down payment. He uses an economic term. He is given as a as a an earnest money, a down payment on the great truth that he's going to finish what he started in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit takes up residency in our lives, and immediately, look at verse 5, immediately he begins to bring assurance in the believer's heart. The love of God is poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. He takes the things of Christ and he opens them up for us. Jesus put it this way. When he was speaking to the disciples, he said, he, speaking about the Holy Spirit, because he said he's coming, if you knew, if you really understood that, he said, you'd rejoice because I'm leaving. If I don't go, he won't come. But when I go, he'll come. And he shall glorify me, John 16, 14. He shall glorify me for he shall take of mine and disclose it to you. Open it up for you. The Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and opens them up. Maybe you heard, some of you heard for years that God so loved the world that he sent his son to die on the cross. You'd maybe recited it in a liturgy. Maybe you'd memorized Bible verses, but one day it became real. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. He opens up blinded eyes. Some of you had never heard. And you heard and you believed. What a blessing to hear the gospel and believe it. That's of God. Maybe today you're just hearing it. Maybe you've heard it all your life and you're just now hearing it as I tell you. God loved you. Sent his son for you. And the Holy Spirit takes these truths and opens them up. And maybe right now he's working on your heart and opening opening your eyes, so to speak. You say, well, how does he do it? Well, he takes the scripture, the truth that God spelled out regarding these things, and opens them up. For instance, look at verse 6 and following. He says, the love of God has been poured out, and then the love of God becomes his topic. And now watch, because the Holy Spirit can now take the objective love of God and open it up for us in our hearts. Verse 6, for while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You want to know about the love of God? Here's the objective truth of it right here. The Holy Spirit wrote it down for us, and I pray that He'll open our minds and our hearts so that we'll see His love for us. And He begins uh, by explaining who we were and what we were when His love for us was initiated. Look at it, verse 6. While we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, Christ died for what? Sinners. Verse 10, enemies, helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies. What a description. That's what we were. That's what we were, helpless. No ability to help God out. We were helpless. You see the the tragic uh, earthquake victims... In fact, when we learned about it, was just turning the television on, and there was a scene of this corpse right there, just in full color. And then we began to realize what they were showing and the magnitude of what had happened. But uh, even some of the living victims, completely helpless to do anything, just barely able to moan, if that, and unable to do anything about their condition. And the Scripture teaches that that's where we were. In fact, the Bible says we were dead in our transgressions and the uncircumcision of our flesh. We were absolutely dead spiritually, helpless. And he doesn't leave it there. He says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. No inclination toward God. That's what we were. Oh, we might have talked about God. We might have acted like we had inclination toward God. But the Bible says that... We were helpless and ungodly. Sinners, verse 8. By nature, by habit, by practice, sinners. And look at verse 10. If while we were enemies, hostile rebels, that's who Christ died for. That's who Christ died for. That's the measure of God's love for you and me. He died for us when we were helpless, ungodly sinners, rebels, enemies of His. Now, in human terms, look at verse 7. One will hardly die for a righteous man. People don't usually die for the upright, cold, upright type person, the one who maybe elicits respect. They might, you know, perhaps for a good man, the one who elicits warmth and love, someone might lay down his life, but even that. But God, He didn't lay His life down for a good person. He didn't lay his life down for a righteous, upright person. He laid his life down for sinners. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were anything but righteous or good or lovable, 
He died for us. That's the measure of God's love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. For God so loved the world that He gave. You want to know about God's love? It isn't just spoken of, He acted on it. He demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. I'll tell you something. When Jesus Christ laid his life down for you and for me, we were anything but friends. We were enemies of his. If while we were enemies, he says, Verse 10. He doesn't leave it, uh, he doesn't leave it to, to guesswork here as he explains the love of God. And the Holy Spirit overwhelms us with un- the understanding of this. The more, that's why the Christian life is always cross-centered. And that's why you don't go beyond the cross. You don't, uh, well, yeah, I know that, I know that. No. The believer loves to hear once again of the cross of Christ because the Holy Spirit delights in opening up the love of God made known at Calvary in the gift of His Son. Who can, who can measure the width and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of God? That's what Paul prays about in Ephesians. And he says it's just unknowable. We might know it, but it's unknowable, the surpassing riches of His love for us. Now, verse 9, notice he, uh, he gives the argument. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Now, here's the real argument. He says, listen, if God loved us while we were helpless and ungodly and sinners and enemies, much more now that we're reconciled. And he uses this term, look at verse 9, much more. He uses it in verse 10. He's going to use it in verse 15, verse 17, do four times in Romans 5. He uses this term much more. If God loved us then, much more now that we're his children. God did the hardest thing. He will do the easier thing. You see what I mean? God sent his son to save us in our sin. He justified us. He will get us safely home. He has done the harder thing, justification. He will do the easier thing, glorification. I mean, uh, look at verse 9 and and let every... I mean, you know, in one sense, a person ought to read, memorize. Memorize this portion. But let me encourage you to read it and then read it again and then pray and ask God, open it up for me and kind of stop and pause over every phrase because... He's laying out the great truth of the security of our justification, the permanence of it. And he says, verse 9, much more than having now been justified by His blood. You weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, First Peter writes. Peter writes in First Peter, I think it's verse 18. 
Or I think of what Paul said in Acts 20, verse 28, when he talked to the Ephesian Christians and he said, listen, you watch over the church of God, the people of God, the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Do you think God is going to invest the blood of his son in you and then just let you trail off and wander off over here and get lost somewhere? Oh, no, he paid for you with his blood. In him we have redemption through his blood. Ephesians 1.7. Christ made peace through the blood of His cross, Colossians 1.20. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more than having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. If God gave His Son while we were enemies, what more will he do for, won't He do for you? He who did not spare his own son, Romans 8 says, how will he not freely with you give him anything, everything you need? He will. He gave his son for you. He'll surely keep you. Oh, the security of it. I say bask in it. Enjoy it. Rejoice in it. Exult in your security. I'm often asked, can a believer lose his salvation? Now, I want to ask you some questions that I often ask individuals. What were you when you were saved? I'll help you. Helpless, ungodly, a sinner, an enemy of God. Every Christian will assent to that. If you want to assent to that, if you say, well, I wasn't that bad of a guy, you're probably not a Christian. And you don't have any security, and I don't want to give you any. But if you've come to Jesus Christ as a sinner, and I tell you, what were you when you were saved? You, and, I, and you say, well, I was a sinner, helpless, ungodly, an enemy of his. That's what you were. Who saved you? Who saved you? Christ. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, he who was raised. Who would bring a charge against God's elect? Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. How did he save you? By dying for you and rising again on your behalf. What part did you have in any of this? You were the sinner. He's the Savior. He died for your sins. That's how he saved you on the cross. How many of your sins? All of your sins. Now, when you, uh, when you start to worry about losing your salvation, what are you worrying about usually? Sin. Failure, lack in your life, Christ died for that. He went to the cross for sinners, for enemies of His. Now that you've been reconciled, much more you'll be saved from any wrath. Christ died for all your sins. Colossians 2.13, having forgiven us all, all our transgressions, having nailed them to the cross, he moved them out of the way. He canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. Everything we've ever done, everything we'll ever do was like a certificate of debt that Christ nailed to the cross. What were you when you were saved? A sinner. Who saved you? Christ. How? He died for your sins. How many of them? All of them. Well, what about, though, if my faith fails? Well, he just said your faith won't, first of all. He said, 
No matter what comes your way as a Christian, God will purify your faith. He's gone through that. But it's interesting to note, too, that from here on in Romans, and you can glance over and check this out, you won't find the word faith until chapter 9, verse 30. He's done talking about faith now. He's used the word faith 25 times up to now. This is the great epistle of justification by faith. But now he quits talking about faith because, you see, ultimately, and now listen to me carefully, we're not justified by our faith. We're justified by the object of our faith. And he's after this great truth that the guarantee of the permanence of your justification is not in you, it's in God. God's love for you. That's why I say these three great guarantees in this chapter are good to just mull over and let them get a hold of you. God's great love is the guarantee of the permanence of our salvation. He loved us when we were anything but lovable. Now that we're His children, His blood-bought children, we can be much more secure and assured. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit from the moment of salvation onward is an, uh, he, he ministers assurance to believers as we meditate on God's Word. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And of course, Christians enjoy that much more as they cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And He will speak to your heart as you listen to His words. And if you neglect listening to His words, your appreciation of this won't grow as it should. But he wants to underline it for us. Now notice verse 10. He, uh, he says our whole relationship to God, past, present, and future, is uh, always linked to Christ. Notice, through the death of His Son, much more we shall be saved by His life. Our justification is certain because it's in Christ. Our future is just as certain as Christ's future. We're going to see this in chapter 6. Just as sure as Christ will never die again, so we will never die again. But he underlines it, past, present, and future. And notice, both in chapter 5 and chapter 8, he ties the past and the future together. But So we exult in what he did in the past, and we exult in what he's going to do in the future. But always that is to govern the way we live right now. Verse 11, not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see, the past work of Christ at the cross and His future work for us in getting us home safely inform the present. Can I use that term? We're to live presently informed of His great love for us. And that causes just one thing. And look at it again. He uses it, the phrase again, we exult in God. We worship, we praise, we exult, we boast in God. The Christian sings hymns of praise and rejoices and exults in God because God loves him. Proved his love at Calvary. Loved us while we were sinners. His love is an everlasting love that will see us through. And we're to boast and exult in it. And there is no higher calling. There is no better use of your time than to praise God, to exalt Him, to exult in Him, to boast in Him. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. 
the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Forget none of his benefits. And the believer, the more we walk with him, the more we want to exult and boast in God. Now, just let me close with this. Let me give you three or four thoughts. Uh, First of all, meditate on verses 5 through 11. Meditate on this great truth, the great security you have in Christ until you really get hold of it. Uh, Ask yourself those questions I asked. What were you when Christ initiated your salvation? When God sent His Son? And this is love. Not that we started looking for God and sought Him out and did anything. Not that we loved Him. No, we were ungodly. And this is love that He loved us and sent His Son to be the satisfaction, the propitiation for our sins. Meditate on it. The realization of your security. Now listen to me carefully. The realization of your security might ebb and flow. It might have, you know, we were every day wondering about high tide and low tide the last couple of weeks. What's it? And we'd look at the schedule and things change, you know. You see it over there a lot. And the realization of your security might might come and go, but the reality does not change. The reality of it is based on God's unshakable word. And there may be times when you've been more certain of it than other times. But the certainty of it hasn't changed. Bank on it. Stand on the word of God. Every word of God is tested. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Enjoy the unshakable purpose of God. And these positional blessings are for every believer, not just for the strong ones. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have these things. This is true of every believer. God's love for the weakest Christian is no different than God's love for the strongest Christian. The newest Christian trusted Christ last night or one who's known Christ for decades. God's love was poured out on us when Jesus Christ died and rose again for sinners. And finally, let me underline this. Real knowledge of this, the assurance of God's love, never, I'll say it again, never leads to loose living and a casual complacency. That comes from somewhere else. I know there's plenty of loose living among professing Christians. And I know there's plenty of casual complacency and pride and self-complacency. Self, uh, but that doesn't come from God. No, the assurance of God's love for you that the Holy Spirit gives always produces a humility and a gratitude and a desire to live for Him. I know the counterfeiters around... <laughs> But uh, you can know what's God's assurance because God's assurance always produces a love for Him and a desire to serve Him. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Permanence of Justification, a message from our series in the book of Romans. 
If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. We're continuing to see new growth in the Romans Project on the continent of Africa. Recently, we've added the countries of Guinea, Mali, Togo, and Ivory Coast to the ever-expanding outreach of the project. We'd like to invite you to learn more about this ministry or become a partner with us as we minister to pastors and church leaders throughout Africa. Just navigate over to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com slash romansproject. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Adam sinned and brought death to the whole race. By the way, this truth of imputation or having something charged to our account or having something charged to Christ's account, there are three imputations in the Bible. And uh, the flesh hates all three of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? The natural man doesn't like them. He just doesn't want to hear about them. First, there's Adam's sin to the race. Adam's sin was charged to my account. That's all there is to it. First imputation. Second imputation, the race's sin was charged to Christ's account. And third imputation, Christ's righteousness is charged to our account, was imputed to us. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Adam and Christ. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 